I want to bring into the conversation now uh, Dr. Dabinga Omikondo. Uh, Omikongo Dabinga, uh, he's a regular on the show. He's a professor at American University, and he's also a diversity and inclusion expert. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Dabinga. I, I want to ask you about these uh, book publishing companies. So we saw all of these companies publishing books by black authors. I've, I've interviewed tons of black authors who have had New York Times bestselling books in the wake of George Floyd's murder. But now there are imprints that are, you know, responding to those books with their own version of, of history. There's an imprint called Emancipation Books that's devoted to publishing those writers who have a different view uh, about race. There's a book coming out called Race Crazy, BLM, uh, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And this is meant to be a corrective to the 1619 Project. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, hunger on the right for these books, and a lot of white conservatives feel like you know they, they want to tell their story. You know, is this what we should expect moving forward? Is that we'll see this kind of backlash, not just uh, retrenching in the the corporate setting, but even in, in the books and the, the media, uh, we'll see white conservatives saying, "Hey, enough is enough. We're, we're tired of these conversations about diversity and inclusion and uh, systemic racism." Let's call these people race hustlers. <laughs> Absolutely. And we see it not only in the publishing industry, we're seeing it in our K to 12 and our university institutions as well, where people are talking about getting rid of things like critical race theory. And just for full disclosure, critical race theory is not taught from the K to 12 level for people who are not familiar with that terminology. But quite honestly, yes. And this is why when it comes to the publishing industry itself, we have to be mindful of considering the source because their interest in profits, I mean, the same People that are going to publish books by, about anti-racism are going to publish books by people like Kellyanne Conway and Donald Trump and the others. And so we have to make sure that we're doing the work to seek out and listen to real experts like your, your panel here, Dr. Banks, Dr. Winters, or Francis Winters as well. Because really, at the end of the day, if we keep letting the media feed us who we're supposed to talk to, we're going to continually fall victim to whoever they say is the flavor of the month or the flavor of the moment. And we're seeing that with these publishers as well, in terms of the books that they're putting out, they're kind of just going with the flow. Oh, this is what people want. Okay, let's just find those authors. And we have to go deeper and do better than that. Yeah, I started the show by really asking, is this a period of racial reckoning or really is this a period where whites are, are grasping at, at reclaiming white innocence? I'll start with you, Mary Frances. I'd love to get all of your opinion on that. Do, do you think we're really having a, a racial reckoning of, of substance at this moment or, you know, white people just saying we want to feel good uh, and we don't want to be made to feel bad. So don't use these words that, that hurt our feelings. Yeah. So last year I wrote about, you know, is this a moment or a movement? And, and I said, and time will tell. And I think here we are a year and a half later. And I think it, it was a moment, but we can look through history. We've had these moments before, right? Throughout history. And um, white supremacy is just so embedded and so strong, the white dominant um, and, and, the, and being in that power position that um, any attempts, any attempts to actually address historic and systemic racism in this country, it gets shut down. This is not the first time. Yeah. No, that's, why, that's how critical race theory actually got started in the 70s. Um, with Kimberly Crenshaw and, and company, and they were looking at, gee, you know, uh, we had the civil rights movement here, we had passed all these laws, but wait a minute, it doesn't seem like anything is changing. So that's really how critical race theory started, to look at why have we not made progress even after 
you know, the, the protests and, 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 the, and all of the things that happened, you know, in the 60s. And here we are again in 2021 asking the same question. Where is the progress? I talk about that in my book, Black Fatigue. I have a whole chapter. Then is now. You can look at a whole bunch of statistics and just see nothing, nothing has happened. But I think that there is such a, a strong um, push to keep things to the status quo because it's comfortable for white people. Why do they want to change? I used to talk about people who did power and privilege kinds of training in corporations. I said, why are you doing power and privilege? People who have power want to keep power. So you're going to tell them that they have power? Say, oh, yeah, I got the power, right? So, yeah, so I, I, I yeah, exactly. We're, it's, a, it's a moment, not a movement. And I think unless our voices, unless we continue, like shows like yours, um, Reba, we, we have to keep the full court press on. And that is fatiguing. It's yeah. fatiguing. It is exhausting, to say the least. Dr. Domino, I'll ask you, uh, you know, is this a moment in our movement, as Mary Frances said, you know, are we really having a racial reckoning in this country or, you know, are we just trying to, to placate white people? I mean, it, it looks like a moment to me just because I've been around long enough to see a lot of moments like this that didn't eventuate in any real change. So I think that's the that's the negative side of this. This could all be gone. And, and we are seeing a lot of backlash against it. You know, there was a lot of change in the early 1970s in firms, for example, in educational systems. Um, a lot of companies really changed what the mid-career managers looked like in between 1970 and 1975. And then there was backlash against that. There was a, there was a financial crisis um, brought on by the OPEC oil embargo, started in 1973, then there was reverse discrimination lawsuits. So it turned back pretty quickly. And I have to say today looks kind of like that again. Um, but what's, I think what's promising is we recognize that what's happening in, in employment, in the firm, in the university is systemic racism. We, now we have a term for it. So systems are racist and we need to change the system. So I think we've been too focused on trying to change people's minds and as I was saying before, it's just hard to change stereotypes in people's head. I would give up on that. Mary Frances has given up on it. She's not doing implicit uh, bias training. But we need to change systems. And that's why I say, you know, all the companies out there, if you're not recruiting at historically black colleges, and I mean recruiting for all your jobs up and down the line, you have to do that. You have to be recruiting at Latin serving institutions and you have to send your own managers out to do that. And that's just the first in many systems that we need to change. But Dr. Right, Dabba, we're not, we're not, we're not retaining. I so we can recruit, up on that, though, just we so can recruit all day long, that. but we're not retaining. That's why that's that's why we have to change mentoring systems. That's why we have to train change management training systems to open these things up to everybody. So I'm not saying that recruitment is the is where you can solve the problem. It's the first of many systems that are part of the career system that we've got to change. And that's what systemic racism in the firm is. All right, Dr. Dubinga, jump in here, and then I'll give Dr. Banks the last word on this. Well, I was saying that I haven't given up on, on, the, on the bias side of things and, and, and the personal. I've actually found that uh, in recent activities I've been doing with organizations, that has been the most effective aspect of it, is getting people to personably, personally probe their own experiences as it relates to racism and issues that whether they were the perpetrators or the victims, whether they grew up in a family that was that, getting people to understand that we're all products of our environment and we're not responsible for that, but we're responsible for what we do from here. And then after that, 
one of the things I'm learning, I see in these organizations is they say things like we're against racism and systemic racism and they're like, but they've never defined it. So we spend a lot of time in, in these organizations actually just agreeing to what racism is versus systemic racism, the individual versus the, the, the dynamics that may be happening across the country in a governmental system. The basic conversations that should be happening in our high schools and in our universities are things that I'm finding we have to do on some of these corporate levels. And unfortunately it's necessary, but I find that to be effective to get a conversation started. All right, Dr. Banks, give you the last word on this. Is this a period of racial reckoning or a period where whites are just grasping at, at reclaiming what they believe to be their, their white innocence? Well, I think this is a question that many people are asking. One of the projects I'm involved with is a major study with donors of color uh, with the Lilly School of Philanthropy. So did a bunch of focus groups with donors of colors. And that was one of the, the concerns that they have. They're very optimistic about the broader philanthropic field shifting. But the question is, will it continue? Um, and I think that uh, that time will tell. One of the interesting things that's gone on with Walmart is Walmart in response to the unrest actually started a $100 million fund that they're going to disperse over five years. And so to degree, that's an example of a firm that has institutionalized uh, race and racial considerations in their philanthropy. So clearly it will last five years for them. I think the question is, will it last beyond that? So I think time will tell. I think companies like Walmart that have institutionalized it, um, at least we'll see some change in the short term. And is Walmart going to pay its employees a living wage while they give away $100 million. I think that's the question that, that concerns so many people is, yes, bravo to the $100 million. But but what about the, the, the single mother that, that can't make enough working at a Walmart to support her kids, send her kids to daycare and, and you know, feed her family? So how do we get those, those uh, intentions in sync? Yes, do the philanthropy, fantastic, wonderful. But as Mary Frances said, and Dr. Do Dr. Dobbin says hire them. Mary Frances says, you know, retain them and promote them and give them power. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, are, are you seeing, you know, that happening in tandem? Because it's still performative to give away $100 million, but you got black people working for $12 an hour in a city like Los Angeles where they cannot, cannot, you know, rent an apartment and feed themselves. And that's precisely what the cost of diversity capital is. That's what the cost is. So it allows companies to seem as if they're doing uh, something significant. And there are significant aspects of it, but pr you precisely identified what the cost is. And so uh, the solution is they do, they need to work together. So if you're going to make this gesture, the way to do it authentically is to make sure that throughout the organization, throughout the firm, you have these practices that promote equity. Yeah, you know, we say, uh, you know, take care of home first, basically. So <laughs> thank you for the press release. Thank you for the, the money you're giving away. But, you know, start start at home. Charity starts at home. Uh, Got to end this conversation. So interesting. Thanks to all of you. Always good to see you, Mary Francis, Dr. Domingo, of course. And thank you for joining us this morning, Dr. Dominic, Dr. Banks. A really interesting conversation. All I can say is watch this space. Uh, you know, we'll know whether this is a moment or a movement. And we're going to know pretty quickly because things are moving pretty rapidly. Uh, again, thanks to all of you for joining me this morning. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.